before I thought I should say welcome ladies and gentlemen and our non-binary friends to the Midwest Monsters podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I've been joined by Professor Wagstaff, Venomous Benny, Hot Toddy. Good to be with you friends as we try out a new format today. So you're used to checking out us talking about a franchise or a director or a genre or true crime or uh, doing the monster mash. But today, we're starting a new one, and to avoid copyright problems, we're not calling it Masterpiece Theater. We are calling it Monsterpiece Theater. Which and is probably copywritten somewhere, but shh. Yeah, let's make sure Famous Monsters is known now. <laughs> and so what we are doing is we are taking the opportunity to visit films that we know that we have talked about. They haven't necessarily fully covered, but these are films that obviously we just consider to be some of the greatest of all time in the genre. And so, you know, we may have talked about them when we've talked about a subgenre or a director or uh, seasonal or something like that, but they haven't really gotten the full treatment. And because we've talked about them so much already, we're not going to do the full, full treatment. Um, we're just going to tell you what it is, date cast, brief synopsis, and talk about why we think it's such an important film and why we like him so much. So, that being said, Toddy, would you like to tell them what two films we've chosen? So, we chose An American Werewolf in London, 1981, Universal Pictures, and John Carpenter's The Thing, 1982, Universal Pictures. Wow. It's like Universal has a monopoly on these sorts of things. Who knew they'd be good at making a horror movie? Yeah. Weird. They go through cycles. Weird. So, which one shall we start with? Let's go with An American Werewolf in London. An American Werewolf in London. Now, have y'all seen this before? Never heard of it. (laughs) First time. Glad we covered it. Give me a reason to watch. (laughs) Folks, you know, obviously this is a favorite for all of us. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't know about Toddy. I I love this movie so much that this is a rare (laughs) one. That I love it so much that I hate the sequel. <gasps> Todd doesn't like a sequel, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, you mean the like sequel in spirit only? <laughs> if, if it wasn't if it wasn't called, I probably would like the movie. But um, but yeah, looking for American Werewolf. Great way too. to follow up a groundbreaking special effects movie with terrible CGI. CGI. Yeah. Terrible CGI. Like, but we'll uh, we'll remix a Bush song and and it'll make it hip. Yeah, it's like the Vampire Bush remix, or the Werewolf Bush remix. <laughs> what was the name of that kid, the main character in that one? Brendan? Brandon? Tom Everett Scott. That's no, not him. Yeah, it is. Okay. The character's name or the actor? The actor. I mean, I don't yeah, remember the character name. Tom Everett Scott. Oh, okay. Whatever happened to him? He was in a lot. He still does, though. That was just that thing he did. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm, hey, nervous. I'm so nervous. Okay, let's get to the good one again. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> who's in this one, Toddy? Uh, well, written and directed by John Landis, it re- was released on August 21st, 1981, 
and starring David Naughton, Griffin Dunn, and Jenny Agutter. Okay. Well, a uh, good reminder here, this is a good opportunity. Remember, we're only using one microphone, Todd, so speak up so the folks at home can hear you. We're, uh, we're working through some sound issues, about to get us a new soundboard, but uh, it sounds a little different, that's why. Folks. Listen, you've been, you've been with us through worse, guys. Yeah, 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 you've been with us, and we haven't even plugged our microphones in. <laughs> so I, I missed the mark on uh, The Collector franchise but i was okay with that so so also uh, a rarity is you telling me to be quiet <laughs> or, i'm sorry to speak up to speak up to say more yes yeah. um that hit me when i said it out loud i was like wait he always tells me to be <laughs> i always gotta silence you um well it's about two american boys going backpacking through europe what a cliche, right? Mm-hmm. Well, by now, but back then, probably not. Probably only rich kids did that. I think there's still only rich kids that do that. Um, and uh, have you done it? Never have. Oh, okay. I thought I was going to bust you out. Uh, Todd, you can't just call me a hillbilly every episode and then accuse me of being a rich kid. <laughs> Look, Todd, I, Todd, uh, because he was a rich boy. <laughs> <laughs> I get nervous driving on American rural roads. I can't imagine. Backpacking across Europe, <laughs> yeah. I'd be a nervous wreck every oh, day. Yeah, yeah. Riding with sheep, I could picture you doing that, Professor. Put my ass on a train, I'll take pictures. <laughs> so these American boys find themselves in a small little village, and they've been in the rain. It's been a, a tough trip. They're just dying to make it to Italy and the Italian girls. And right now, they're on the British countryside, and they wind up at a little bar called the Slaughtered Lamb. Remember the Alamo. <laughs> oh, that film with John Wayne. <laughs> I remember that one. <laughs> so they end up they, they 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 leave the bar in a hurry because the locals are not real thrilled with them. Uh, after they saw a pentagram on the wall and asked about it, then they get attacked by a wolf, and hijinks ensue from there because Peter dies and David is left to carry on. And they're like, "No, it was a, it was a lunatic." Like, no, no, it was, it was a wolf. No, it was a lunatic. So, there's a basic setup. Yes. Uh, typical Americans <laughs> to not listen to the advice of the locals where they're at. They told them how to travel. They Stay did. on the road. Yeah. Beware of the moors. Yep. And yep. they did not. Yep. They got smoked. Uh, the scene with Griffin Dunn being attacked is one of the most upsetting attacks in movie history. It's terrifying. He sells it so well. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's... He's pitch perfect with it, and the the screaming like every time I watch it, I'm wowed. With oh him. yeah, and it really sets the tone for the movie because we've already had laughs prior to that. The humor is good, but that attack is—I mean—they're not messing around. It's mm-hmm. gory and it is scary, but and that's that's the pitch perfect balance that they they navigate the entire movie, going back and forth between legit scares and actual comedy, like funny. And I think that's what really sells the film, in my opinion, is that like even ten minutes in, you like these characters, and you—it's a genuine friendship. Like mm-hmm. their dialogue, you can tell these guys are buddies. The way they're teasing each other about girls back home, the way I love the it's like when they hear the howling, he goes, "Maybe it's Heathcliff." <laughs> Heathcliff was it a wolf? Yeah, but he was on the moors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, just there's so much. Yeah, and so throughout the whole film, you genuinely care about. Uh, Peter, David, uh, the nurse, you know, like, because it's good writing. Right. It's excellent writing. And it's never, it never takes itself too serious or it never tries to be too cute. 
Yep. That's just the perfect balance. And there's a, a scene later in the movie I'll, I'll get to that's actually just played completely straight. It's a nice scene in it. But, yeah, I mean, even early on with that, you have the great banter with them walking. And then as they start to set down the hill into the town where this bar is, the most melancholy, somber, ominous music starts playing mm-hmm. without it being hokey. I mean, that's just, that's the way this movie is. It dances back and forth seamlessly through the entire thing. Yeah. I think it sold so well that, uh, I, especially if I watch anything with my dad, he always likes to scream at characters that you can't, uh, you know, because um, uh, when this happens that... Uh, David runs away because he gets away. Yeah. And then stops and you don't hear anyone question, like, don't go back because how can you not go back to your friend screaming for help? Yeah. I just, the, you're right about the the way the, the mood is completely set and it's the mood that's going to carry through the whole rest of the movie, which is part of the brilliance of it, is that balance between comedy and genuine scares and horror it's a difficult thing to pull off but and this is a prime example of when it's done so extremely well and that attack is horrific oh yeah just the set whoever was the sound designer and everything (laughs) else on that particular scene deserves all kinds of credit it it is a terrifying scene and also so much is left to your imagination Because it's in the dark. There's no street lights, nothing. And so you see very little of it. And I think that makes it even scarier. Definitely. And when he runs back, I think the emotion of that scene, when he's like, oh, Peter. And he turns around to run back. I'm like, oh, damn it. I'm like, which one of these guys would I run back for? (laughs) Start playing it through my head. (laughs) Uh, Vinny, yeah. Todd, probably. That's all right. I'm already safe in town. <laughs> yeah, Todd did not go to the countryside with us. Todd stayed in London. No, my, my, knee, my knees aren't allowing for that hike, boys. Todd just gave us great Christmas gifts, so I'm going back for him. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. That's, um, that's why Abner's is the smallest. Yeah, Todd <laughs> missized mine on purpose. He wanted me to look foolish. Um, so we're there... Um, He's having these weird dreams. Uh, then he's going to be discharged from the hospital. He doesn't know what to do. A guy from the U.S. Embassy comes. I think that in itself is scary because I've, I've never, like the most I've ever traveled, I was going to say overseas until I caught myself, but I'm like Canada. But I'm like internationally, like right over the, the border. And then for some, when I, when I went to Hawaii, it felt like a different place. But mm-hmm. imagine just being like, uh, just completely foreign yeah you was he asleep for several weeks was it a few weeks in between at least yeah because he's in the hospital i think three weeks and he's had enough time they they make a point to have that wound mostly healed up yeah so he's been there a minute yeah you're right but they uh you and, and then you you don't even know like customs your your friend is dead you don't know anybody you have nowhere to go yeah yeah, it's crazy. I couldn't imagine. Lucky for that. him, he's good looking. So <laughs> he's got that going for him. And enter the nurse, nurse, uh, nurse Price. Right, mm-hmm. Nurse Price takes a liking to him. And Did you uh, say liking, liking, get it? 
Hey, I'm here. So that one's here. okay, but my that thing. <laughs> he didn't uh, do that on purpose. No, that was just my little <laughs> accent. Vinny made that joke. I didn't make that joke. Uh, and she takes him home with her, and they engage in a romantic relationship. The movies are so fun. Same with Tom Atkins. It's like, yeah. hey, I just met you in the amidst a terrible tragedy. Would you like to have sex? <laughs> sure. Carla Rae Jimson, you know, it's nothing new. Yeah, the nurse has got that great line where she finds him a, a bit sad. Yeah. But, but she, at the same time, I'm is... I'm not in the habit of bringing young American boys back mm-hmm. to my flat. <laughs> but I find you a bit sad. Yeah. <clears throat> I relate to the nurse. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, again, and their relationship is one that they build it so well in the way that she genuinely cares about him that it's what ultimately makes the end of the film so emotional. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Puts things at stake a little bit. But I would venture to say at this table that it's probably nobody at this table's favorite part of this movie. Oh, the love scene? Yeah, the, just the love story in general. It's a fabulous night for a moon dance. <laughs> A little Van Morrison. Hey, yeah, random it, fact: all the songs have I, moon in them. Yes, five. It's one of the moon's it, It's it's low key a great part of the movie because yeah. of the the placement of these songs. Yeah, um, I love it. And I think originally he wanted to open it with Elvis's Blue Moon, but couldn't secure the rights for uh, it. If you've never listened to that version, do it's haunting. Like, and I always think of that when the movie starts. That he had originally wanted that, and how huh. good it would have been I over the. Ever heard over that like I, I, my mind went to Blue Moon of Kentucky, but I've never heard him do Blue Moon. <laughs> yeah, because his version of Blue Elvis Moon. fan, you know what I'm talking it's about. It's a very early recording, if I'm remembering correctly. Very early, like Sun Studios recording. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. Which, which, when, because uh, this was in the works too for a long time, as well, right? Didn't it take a the while? movie in general? Yes, because there was the whole controversy with the technology that was put to use in the Howling earlier in the year. Yeah. Because Rick Baker assisted Rob Botten on that because they had been tied up for so long with their werewolf project that he went ahead and helped and Landis was pissed. <laughs> um, but <clears throat> that just demonstrates how long they'd been trying to get this off the ground. And I think once the howling really got moving, then they did whatever they needed to do. I to felt like it, it took like almost a decade, but then it came out with two other werewolf movies the same year. Yes, Year of the Werewolf. The Year of the Werewolf. Which we should probably mention that. So we're talking about the Howling, which American came out World. in April, okay, of that year. American Werewolf in London, yep, and Wolfen, right? Wolfen, yep. And that's just in America. There's some other ones. I think uh, maybe Paul Nashy had one. Mm, probably. Year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Nashy had a million. <laughs> that's true. The only not to be outdone. <laughs> I feel like there's maybe one other one, but it's insane because it's this subgenre that has a lot of love. But not a lot of movies. And so you'd had kind of the groundwork laid by Universal and and things here and there. Curse the Werewolf from Hammer in the 60s. Uh, some TV movies. There really wasn't a long list of quality movies. And then just out of nowhere, you get all, some of the best we've ever had all at once. Just bam, 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 all in the same year. And then we never really came back to it in, a, in the same quality way, with the exception of a couple. I was going to say, even the, uh, the Universal Legacy, like, the Wolfman was kind of standalone. Like they really didn't. It wasn't even remade until years later. Yeah. Um, but a, a common trend with both of the movies we're discussing today is special effects. And so Rick Baker is just top notch in this. I mean, it's as good as it gets. And what I think 
is really fun as we look at at the plot and what they're doing with the story is there are two different avenues that are a perfect showcase for him besides just the werewolf transformations. You also have him being haunted by the friend we've lost at the beginning of the mm-hmm. movie and Griffin Dunn's character. Who who's, progressively... Yeah, progressively worse <laughs> each time. And so you've got that, but then you also have nightmare sequences as he's being haunted by this. And so between those three things... It's it's like the perfect showcase for a, a special effects person. Oh yeah, and I think they created the Oscar for they, this. They did. They did. He, I he mean, was the that's first when one. that's how good this is. They were like, we really should have an award going, <laughs> like where we could be honoring something like this. I mean, that's when you know it's top shelf. And the thing we'll get to, obviously, like these are arguably the two best. For what, many people. What about his dream sequence where the Nazi werewolves come in and shoot up his family and cut his throat? Why they're watching insane. the Muppets. <laughs> it's completely unhinged. but yeah. that, And that's what's so fun about it because you can't really have that in a, a serious horror movie unless it's something like that. A nightmare sequence. Then it's scary. And yeah. it's brief and we come back to the movie. Man, it's wild. <laughs> the imagery like, of that is one of the first things I think of and it has nothing to do with the movie. I remember years and years ago before there were like before horror figures and toys were common or oversaturated on the market. Uh, I don't even remember what line it was because it wasn't McFarlane. It, no, it was. It, I it didn't. It, they only did a couple lines of it, but yeah. And one of them was they made a Nazi werewolf, <laughs> and it was before I'd seen the movie, and I was like, "What the fuck is that?" <laughs> <laughs> and then when I watched the movie, I was like. There are Nazi werewolves. Oh, there they are! <laughs> it's crazy. The whole scene, because uh, uh, the first time I that's one of the things that stands out because I was so confused. I thought he was back home, and again, like they're watching the Muppets, and mm-hmm. it's funny. And then, like, because uh, there's even like a little brother and sister who get slaughtered. Oh yeah. Because uh, I, I was always told that this is like one of the scariest movies ever, which I think it is, and I think it's a good. Um, I think it sets you up because uh, because prior it's like a love story you're laughing and and then uh, and then you get like not only do you get the nightmare scene but uh, he wakes up and he's still dreaming you just don't know it and uh, the Nazis behind the curtain yeah I agree right. that the scares are better because of the comedy that's in the movie as well the way it disarms it disarms you, you. absolutely yeah. yeah so we've done horror comedy twice mm-hmm. we revisited it um, and so. Each time we kind of discuss the best offerings of all time. This is always up there, yeah. along with like Abbott and Costello, Shaun of the Dead. But I think the difference here, and maybe you guys would agree or disagree, is this is the scariest one. Oh, genuinely. Yeah. Yes. Like the other ones all take the horror serious, but they don't try and scare you like this. Right. Like the scares in this are full throttle. And I think that's the important distinction here because like something like the howling is also comparable. There's humor in that, but it's it's way more horror than it is humor. Yeah. The humor's more tongue in cheek and, and minimal for the movie. Whereas this is truly striking a fifty fifty balance. I mean it's a good segue into the next, I think, kind of horrific scene that's really in the movie is the that subway scene. Where yes. that <laughs> it's like he he hears it and then he sees it and then the wolf like we don't see the wolf really you see it at the bottom of the escalator, but you don't you don't get a look. And that's at the what's wolf. brilliant. Yeah, those little that little glimpse that they yeah, give just you. the movement at, down there at the which, bottom is so scary. Is, which, that, which, is that before we see the transformation? No, because no. I was going to say that's Should what I makes just skip the transformation. Well, that's what makes it because uh, yeah, you never see the full. <laughs> yeah, you, you've just you've just watched <laughs> this incredible transformation because previous to this era, it was all dissolves. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and Universal movies. And this was a painful experience for it, the person turning. And you got full. You life. saw all of you saw the the hairs coming through their follicles. You like everything, and then then they hide the actual monster once he's transformed, and that's that's fucking genius. Yeah, he's, he's like, ah, oh, it's so hot. <laughs> I, I think that's again though the the scene itself because typically if you even when you saw more stuff on screen it's still dark and it's he's in a, a lit room and and balls and everything you see everything like <laughs> hand stretching which um, uh, Wolf Cop did a great tribute to that yes with <laughs> dong and transformation. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I had seen the transformation before the movie as a kid because I wasn't allowed yes. to see the more intense stuff. Yeah. Obviously, there's some sex to it and then the violence. I couldn't see that, but at a very young age, I saw the transformation, which just blew my mind. When he's laying on his back and his hands and his feet are stretched out, and you can just, it just, God, it looks like he's in a torture rack. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? He's like, ah, you know, just. <laughs> and that's what, it's such a great scene because it perfectly encapsulates the movie and its whole purpose, which is. Werewolves are scary, but kind of ridiculous too. Yeah. Like we're not looking at the absurdity. The well, and what song is playing while he's right, transforming? Right before that, it's "Bad Moon Rising" yeah. by yeah. CCR. Which I what, see which I think that's another bad. thing that As adds to the scene too is how uh, how restless he is leading up to this. It's he's, Blue Moon when he's changing. It. I was yes. going to say I thought it was Blue Moon too. It's a slower version of it, yeah. which is funny to pair that with what is happening on the mm-hmm. screen. I think it's Sam Cook's Yes, version. it is Sam Cook's version right when it happens. I, do, I still don't think it's been topped. No. I, I'll just put this out here. I think the best sequence special effects wise in any movie is this mm. of all time. Wow. And I think the overall best special effects for a movie we're getting ready to discuss right after. Yeah. As a whole. Well, And, and I think it's so strong that this is 1981 and I mean this movie led to Michael Jackson's thriller. That's which, true. Which reminds some of the yeah, scenes remind of me of Thriller, and I know people don't think of it as a special effects movie, but Coming to America, mm-hmm. which Rick is heavy, heavy special effects in both John Landis. I feel like this also made people reevaluate David Naughton's uh, disco hit "Making It." So, <laughs> it made me, it made me want Dr. Pepper. Yes, that too. He is a pepper. Guys, I literally froze when I met David Naughton. Right? <laughs> oh yeah, that's your one. <laughs> that's my one. That's the one that I. I, I was like, I, I, I literally only had like one, maybe two beers, and I'm there, and I'm meeting David Naughton, <laughs> and Matt Chan's like, we'll, "We'll go on," you know, like a little kid, and I'm like, "Ah." Uh, he's like, hey, buddy, how you doing? And I'm like, uh. It's like uh, you hear little farts in between Robert's words. <laughs> I bet there's like an 8x10 on the movie poster. It's like, I have this on shirt. <laughs> Didn't you say you thought he, that you thought you were special names? <laughs> Matt Chan was like, I swear, I think he thought there was something about you, dog. <laughs> uh, uh, I... He, he's very personable uh, yeah. when I met him, and I didn't have a moment like that. My one that I acted like that was comic book artist Alex Ross, <laughs> oh, yeah. and I was fucking Chris Farley when I met him. Like, you 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 remember remember Kingdom Come? And he just looks at me and nods, and I said, oh, "That was awesome." <laughs> and then I walked away and just felt like such a dipshit. <laughs> I think mine was Devin Sawa. Where he's ask, I think he's oh, asking yeah. me. Dude, they needed a tarp under Todd. <laughs> Where did he ask? I don't even remember now. Like, I think he might have asked me my name, and I'm like, In- Indiana. <laughs> yeah, that's what he was. He's like, well, how we doing? What's your name? And I was like, Indiana. And I'm like waiting to take a picture, and I'm like, 
what is happening right now? His name is Todd. <laughs> okay. Mine was, uh, I, I don't know if it was Blood Sugar, but Heather Langenkamp, I got kind of uh, weird around. She was one of the first people I met at a convention. And oh, then, and the uh, three of us went together? Yep. Yeah. And then yeah. uh, Ginger Lynn I met one year, and she got real flirty. Todd was with me, and that kind of... Was threw, that because you'd never me met her before, but you'd seen her butthole and it made <laughs> yes. you feel weird? Yes. <laughs> it's like, yeah, she, she was like, I don't know if she did that with everybody, but it made me... It just threw me off. His blood, his, his blood rushed somewhere else. Yeah. Who? <laughs> so back to the film. So we got the yeah we got the transformation, the subway scene. Um, I think after this, I think that night is when he wakes up the next morning in the zoo. Yeah, because he also has the couple in the park. Yes. Yeah. Can't say we're pleased to meet you <laughs> when they're in the theater. Also, it's fun too because Landis likes to do like inside jokes within his movies, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, when they're in the theater, that's a porno theater, and it's thing. It's called like "See You Next." It's "See You Next Wednesday." See You Next Wednesday. He puts that in a lot of his movies. Like it's in uh, on a poster in, in the subway. Well, in Jamie Lee Curtis's apartment in Trading Places. <laughs> oh yeah, there's a poster for "See You Next See Wednesday." See You Next Wednesday in there. There's a poster in the subway for it. I think they bring it up in Blues Brothers somehow. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so or, yeah, he filmed that porno. Yeah, he it's made. Crazy. Yeah, he made a fake porno for. <laughs> To put in the movie and then made it a, a joke throughout other stuff. Which it it is this one right where the it's just even the porno is weird because it's like the guy just shows up and we're like who's that? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, what are you doing with my wife? <laughs> what? That's not my husband. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sorry, wrong apartment. <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, I think just all right. So here we go. So as we build up to the end here. Uh, one of my only complaints about the film is, and I'm sure most of you agree with me, I'm not crazy about a quadruped werewolf. Correct. Yeah. I prefer, more, I prefer bipedal. Yeah. So, that's the only chink in the armor. Is that uh, where he likes both yes. female and male werewolves? Yes. 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 Um, so, yeah. So, are we just going to the end? Sure. sure. Yeah. I think that's where we're at. So, as we were joking about that scene, that scene is great. What a bonkers ending though right so you've got he's in a theater so uh peter draws him into the theater and peter looks terrible is that when he says so rotted he says you look like meatloaf which which have we mentioned that every time i think that's earlier because he's crying when he's changing he's like i'm sorry i don't you look like meatloaf yes that's right because he's like which have we mentioned too that every time he sees him he's telling him you know you have to kill yourself yeah talk to a corpse david it's boring (laughs) yeah because whoever he kills they're left in limbo. Like, they're left to walk the earth disembodied until yeah. the werewolf that killed them is killed. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, dude, I'm not killing myself. You should should have ran faster. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're the soft bitch that made this happen to us. <laughs> and, of course, by by this point, uh, he, he wants to end himself. Right, because he tries to commit suicide by cop. And the cop's like, what's this business Because here? he wasn't in America. I like that they apologize with the uh, special thanks to their wedding in the credits. The, the royal family. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> Queen Elizabeth is a man! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not going to say what he said about Prince Charles. Yeah, Prince Charles is something that was acceptable decades ago. In <laughs> the of, a bundle of sticks. Um, yeah, so, yeah, he's ready to end it. They're in the theater, and it's it's a it's a cool scene that they bring back all the victims. Mm-hmm. It's like a curtain call for all the victims. Yeah. yeah. Bearing all of their wounds. Mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's the, the twist on them being left to haunt is that they still continue to rot mm-hmm. as if they were yeah. you know, their physical bodies still existed. 
So that's a neat little twist to it because the one guy, you don't notice it until he turns to look at him. Yeah. Right. And he's shredded. So. Yeah. But yeah, it's just our, our explosive ending down the Piccadilly area. Oh man, the car the car wrecks. Yeah, because there's the cut the they're having the conversation where he's pleading with him, uh, as he's been doing during their visits, uh, where we've got all the victims there and he transforms with uh what I think visually is one of the scariest things in the movie when the flashlight gets shown by the, oh, yeah. in the movie theater yeah. on him and he, you finally get the full reveal without it really moving. Scary as shit. Um but all hell breaks loose because you've got, you know, a full-blown werewolf down in one of the uh, more populated areas. And when you do start to get bigger glimpses and realize the sheer fucking size of this thing, Mm -hmm. and when it's snarling, its teeth are snapping, like, it's pretty... It's a a monster. It's a great movie monster. Cameo from Landis down there with a bandana tied around his head amidst the chaos. But the werewolf gets out in the middle of that area, and then we get it cornered down an alley. Uh, we don't run it up a tree to see how we'll get it back down, but we do get it cornered there um, for our for our big finale, the yeah. shootout with the, the police that finish them off. Finish them off. With the most perfect song <laughs> choice to go into. Ballad about a bang, bang, bang. Straight into the Marcells. Oh, it's so funny. And, and pitch perfect, as always. <laughs> and no, and still with a little more uh, reality-rooted uh no silver bullet needed to kill him. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. just regular old gunfire will do the trick. Yeah. I think, because uh, this is like one of those movies when, when you find someone that hasn't seen it, it's it's fun to watch with them. And so I remember uh, my my friends realizing that I had never seen it. I think they enjoyed more uh, watching me while I'm watching it because uh, I would jump at all the jumps and... Um, I, I think even going into it, uh, knowing it's a werewolf movie, there's there's just so much uh, unexpected stuff that happens. But they uh, just did this one at that the horror movie marathon at Halloween. And this is one of the movies that played. So um, I went with several friends, and Jesse had seen the movie, and I have seen the movie. The other two hadn't. And so they would just occasionally be like, what? What the fuck? They jump like the, the Nazis really threw them off. But, like, I just remember the end of the movie, they were just like, because <gasps> there's, like, all these people flying out of their cars, like, from the car wrecks, and uh, the, the the werewolf is just killing anything that's in its way, and um, and then, yeah, the abrupt ending, they're just like, what? <laughs> I remember somebody, maybe it was Adam Green on his podcast many years ago, but I, I can't remember for sure where, but they talked about how this movie is the perfect example of just sheer entertainment. A movie that completely entertains you in every way that it possibly can, from the special effects to the humor, the horror. There is no other agenda with it. They're not trying to trick you with a twist ending. They're not trying to overly do any one emotion. It's just a movie setting out to entertain you, and it does. And that's why it's timeless. I don't, I'll never tire of this movie. And as I look on it, uh, growing up, I have said before, I never paid attention to... Who were the director, writers, any shit like that was? It was it was star driven. It was whoever the the main actor was for me is what I noticed about movies. But of course, now being older and paying attention to those things, I realize how many of John Landis's movies I thoroughly enjoyed, and how many of them are uh, some of my favorites. Mm-hmm. You know, he I, he definitely left an imprint 
on a certain era of my life, and I didn't realize it until later. Is it because he has definitely. apes in trading places? Um, no, no. <laughs> Which is, that's some of his earliest stuff was making schlock with yeah. Rick Baker mm-hmm. doing the suit and that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a film! Yes, just what a I'll film. never tire of it. And so this is a perfect opener for this kind of series we're doing because we talked about this in werewolves, we talked about it in horror comedy. But we never really gave it a, a true focus. And we spend so much time trying to come up with these deep cuts and things we think people might enjoy yeah. that we haven't taken our vegetables first. We, yeah. we need to cover these movies. So Honored for this to be the first. Yes. Which, which I think I think John Landis would be a bigger name because I, I think he, he carried on after the Twilight Zone incident. But I think most of his films weren't, even when they were hits, they didn't shine a light on who directed it. Because of, of the, the controversy surrounding Twilight Zone. So, I think that's the only thing that probably dampers it uh, a little bit is is that he should be talked about more than what he is. For sure. He yeah. did have a great stretch, though, there. Yes, he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. One of my favorites. Okay, let's move on to the next. Toddy, what is our next film? So, uh, The Thing, 1982. Directed by John Carpenter. Released hot into the summer of June 25th, 1982. Starring Kurt Russell, Keith David, Wilford Brimley, Richard Masser. <laughs> and uh, as, as already mentioned, uh, Rob, Rob Bolton, FX. Gotcha. Uh, does anybody... Well, before we get into synopsis, I'll, I'll give you all a second to think about who wants to take the lead on synopsis for this one. Um... But uh, well, can we can we start with one thing that that I keep seeing on the internet that that we need to shut down that this is a remake. Yes, had a feeling you were going there. Yes, because they keep saying no, no, that's not a remake. The other one's called the thing from another another world planet. World. Same source material. Yeah, yeah. which I, this is how remakes should be made. Yes, I'll agree because it's 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 its own thing. Yes, but yes, a remake. Adventure to say. Probably one of the best remakes. Yeah, I don't know if I'll say the best, but one of the best remakes ever made. Agreed. Top five. Yeah, right. Yeah, I was going to say that about American Werewolf in London. It's I I give it the same credit I give Jaws. It's a perfect movie. It's not Mm -hmm. the perfect movie, but it's a perfect Mm -hmm. movie. And so this is without a doubt one of the best remakes. Oh yeah, not the best remake, but without a doubt one of the best. Yes, I always think of this, The Fly, and The Blob. That's yep. the first three that come to mind of yes. where they really brought something to oh, remaking yeah. it. Oh yeah, for sure. Who? Well, let's let's first talk about experience with this film. Um, I remember seeing this at a young age. My dad was a sci-fi fan, so I do remember seeing that. I, I probably didn't watch all of it because it freaked me the hell out. But I mean, I remember seeing parts of this film at a young age, and it stuck with me throughout time. And can't tell you how many times I've seen it. it probably gets watched every winter. Um, cause it's just a fantastic film. And so that's kind of my background with it. Yeah. This story was always a big deal with me and my dad. Um, we watched the original a lot. Um, and same for this. And it's, it's one that as I've gotten older, I love with, I, I love more each time I watch it. And I, it's just, it's up there as one of my favorites. It's a perfect winter movie, which is where we've covered this a little bit on as well as Carpenter's episode, but mm-hmm. It was one of the, another one of those ones where we were touching on it, but never really getting into it. Definitely winter horror. I did not actually see this until I was a young adult, and 
blew my mind and fell in love with it on the first watch. It's been in my rotation ever since. I've seen it. God, I can't tell you how many times I've seen it at this point. I I do love to... I, I like to watch it in one of two different times. I like to watch it after the first real good snow that we get. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if and if I get fucked over in a winter where I don't get a snow to where it fits, I will watch it on the most dreadfully hot day of summer to mentally cool myself off. Yep. Get that air up. <laughs> but this, I mean, the cast is great in this movie. Special effects are unbelievable. Rick Baker is my one. Rick Baker, to me, is the number one special effects guy of my generation and quite possibly of all time. Uh but the effects on this, not Rick Baker, are some insanely good and horrifying and abstract mm-hmm. stuff. I've, I've I've never seen anything that can rival it. Yeah, Botten is completely unhinged in this. Um, I think I was probably preteen the first time I watched, um, and I, I think it's because I, I had a a love for John Carpenter and Halloween. Um, and Kurt Russell. Um, what? Yeah, but it, it had been out for a while before I actually watched it. And, and I agree with many. Like, same way with American Werewolf. Like, I fell in love with it from first viewing. Um, the thing was the same for me. So The thing is in... It, it waffles. It could be, at any given time, my, my favorite horror movie. Mm. They're both John Carpenter movies. It's that or the original Halloween, which is still are the two. So in in uh, even today, because uh, I want to say one of the it chapters, either one or two, even has like the the head that crawls out of the fridge. That is obviously a throwback to the thing. So even oh, yeah. even modern cinema is is throwing things back to the thing. I feel like even The Simpsons has done some uh, has done an episode. So do we. Try to do a synopsis here. You've got you've got an American team in uh, Antarctica. It's is it, what what is it that they're? It's like a research. It's outpost. like a research outpost. Okay, uh, there is a dog being chased by a helicopter that is shooting at this dog. Which sled dog. are they a Russian group? No, they're uh, they like Swedes they're or Swedes or Norwegian. I think they keep, Norwegians. They keep calling them Swedes, but they're Norwegians. Do they shoot guns? <laughs> Norwegians have near American gun laws. They <laughs> normally play ABBA very loud. And yes. So yes. they're they're chasing this dog, firing at it. Uh, they they land their helicopter. They go to throw a grenade <laughs> at the the dog. Overkill. Uh, it slips out of the hand, lands behind him, explodes, blows up the helicopter and the two pilots, and uh, the dog runs up and goes inside. They got trying to figure out what in the hell happened. Uh, so they, which is so funny because with me and Vinny being dog people, I'm like, yep, that's how we would react. <laughs> the Here's the thing, up. though: the cautionary tale. If if people in a helicopter are chasing a dog, <laughs> shooting at it, and getting ready to throw a grenade maybe, at it, do you maybe? Put it out in the shed for a few hours and see yeah. how things pan out at first. You know, Professor, there's been points in my life where I've stopped and paused and said, you know what would Ryan 
say I should do in this situation. <laughs> I'm going to put this one in the back back there in that gray matter and say, this is one of those. Yeah, I, I love animals. That thing's going in a shed. But it's not coming in our little outpost just right away. So they figure that because of where they're located, this Norwegian outpost can't be far off. So they take a chopper uh, flown by McCready, which is played by Kurt Russell, uh, and they go and they find it. And when they get there, the place is ravaged. Walls are gone and it's frozen inside. And they find dead bodies. They find, uh, is it the wrists that the guy has slit that has frozen the blood coming out of his mm-hmm. wrists to the ground? Uh, and then they find some more disturbing things, uh, like a half-burned body <laughs> that looks vaguely human but is twisted and turned. And so they take that back with them. They do get some uh, information from the outpost that something did happen. There was like an axe in their radio? Yes. There was no, no communi- communication had been cut off. At this point, I would be tearfully singing Sloop John B., for like 12 hours straight till somebody had to put me down. <laughs> I want to go. <laughs> so they get they get this corpse back. They are studying it. And is, is are we at the point now where they're doing the autopsy and all of a sudden are no 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 no. I'm 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 jumbling this. Somebody else take the lead now because I'm I'm all over It's all right. It, it, the the plot can get pretty difficult to go beat for beat on like yeah. the the basically what we do is we get this situation back into the camp and it it spreads in a way that you can't tell when it occurs because the first thing the you see is the dogs are going ape well, shit well, yeah but and you, you go in and the dog that had come in has weird spaghetti tendrils coming out of its back and by the time they get there it has got tentacles wrapped around the other dogs and is shape changing. Right, and it's not hiding itself because it has nowhere to go. Um, and so, well, even prior to that, don't it, the dog goes? You don't see who he goes to, but the dog goes into a room. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and so you know that something's happened, but you don't know who. Which it is. is the genius vehicle of this story is that it transfers without you being able to tell who's got it. And so what better place for that to be scary than at an outpost in Antarctica, in Antarctica yeah, where, where they you, can't survive you can't, outside. You, yeah, you can't go you anywhere. You have to be indoors with each other. And now you can't trust anybody that you are with. Right. And so you get a lot of different um, ways of them exploring the benefit of, of this vehicle, including uh, getting Wilford Brimley out into his own place <laughs> where he's trying to sell him on coming back in. I was hoping we could have Grizz uh, recreate that, but I think we'll come back to that idea because um, I upset him. So... But yeah, I think one of the best scenes of the entire movie that kind of perfectly illustrates what I'm talking about with the paranoia and the uncertainty is the blood testing sequence that we have in the film. We line all of them up and we get blood samples to test um, who's got it because you can't tell visually. Uh, and the way that unfolds, the drama, I mean, it's it's rich like, like a stage performance. I mean, it, it's completely engrossing. Get you invested in the story if you're not already at that point. Um, but then it, the explosive reveal was sending him the one guy like up into the ceiling. Um, it'll, I mean, it's it's so bad it make Grizz's nose bleed. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say it's perfect that you brought up blood testing while I was getting a nosebleed. <laughs> yes, uh, but but that's <laughs> that's basically the the main thing that we get into 
with this movie at this point is just the paranoia being trapped together. So we're testing blood, and we've got Wilford Brimley, who we go back out to check on. I'm better now. I want to come back inside. <laughs> I'm cold, and I'd like to come back inside. Uh, Wilford Brimley, I, I'd leave him out there. I did make him smile, though, when we met him. So I'm and that's after he destroyed their communication equipment, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Which is like that moment of Quint, which in some languages means five, uh, <laughs> smashes up their communication equipment on the boat. It's like, really? Like, what agenda has led you to this? What is going to, what makes that? But make at sense? this point, Blair knows that this can't leave where they're at. Right. Which is why he destroys their equipment. Which, yeah, he's, he's kind of the hero yeah. for doing he, that. He, it's like, we're not surviving. And if we do, it's because one of us has it. Yeah, and this this can't get out to the rest of the world because they they find a giant spot, uh, a ship basically was found deep in the ice by the oh, Norwegians. That's, that's a good scene too. Yeah, and they so the they have they have thawed out whatever this creature was that landed thousands of years ago, and now its its sole purpose is to survive. And to do that, it replicates whatever it can get a hold of to and, hide in plain sight. And it morphs, and you need a booster shot to prevent it. <laughs> <laughs> you had said earlier about how uh, that particular scene where they're doing the blood testing is it reads almost like a stage play. Mm-hmm. Which much of that movie does, because as far mm-hmm. as sets goes, yeah. it could absolutely be done on a stage. It'd be wonderful. But then you have that set next to some of the craziest and best-looking special effects in cinema history. Mm-hmm. Because what's the, what's the thing everybody thinks of when they think of this movie? Uh, for me, it's the paddles. I was going to say, that one... When, when it splits him open. That's a, that still gets me every time. I know it's coming, and then when those paddles go through, and it I'm like... Ah! <laughs> and then old boy comes up with no arms and blood spurting out. To yeah. me, though, it's... It's the head. Yeah. The way yeah. that head drips, drips off yeah. of the body yep. and then hits the ground and then those legs come out. And, and I think it. everybody thinks the same thing that the character says. You gotta be fucking kidding yeah. me. Like, and, I think everybody feels that yeah. exact thing in that moment. And you got nowhere to go. Son of a bitch. Nowhere to go, man. And you already poured your drink in your chess game, so you don't even have that to take your mind off of it. Cheating That's bitch. true. They're always drinking JMB. Um, so, is there any other little plot points and, and things that they use with the trap nature that you guys want to hit on before we just kind of cruise to the ending and then talk about why we love the movie? Um, I just think it's done really well. Uh, the isolation. Yes, that's the big thing is... You feel that isolation, yeah, and even to the cause, point cause where they're, they're having to put in rerun. I was going to game say, shows. I was going to bring up the, the VHS tapes. Yeah. That, that's their. They didn't even have broadcast TV world. to watch. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, it's just done so well that Good you feel Lord. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You feel it as Todd right now could even stand to be sitting next to me with a bloody nose. Uh, you know, it's just like, are you the thing? They they all do their best to get along. They break up fights and they you know they you know and you understand that they would get in fights, but then they're like, okay, stop, stop, we're stuck here, you know. Um, yeah, I just think the isolation is done so well. In there, uh, in there, a scene early on where they they find somebody's like shredded uniform draws. Yeah, <laughs> which one of you nasty motherfuckers? <laughs> You know, this is dedication to the craft right here. <laughs> Listeners, I want you to know that everyone's taking pictures of me while my nose bleeds. 
instead of calling an ambulance. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, I, don't, I mean, and, and two, it's funny, too, every time I watch it, I'm like, would you look at all these hipsters? Like, they got their beards and their flannel, and I'm like, this just looks like a downtown area of a hipster. Well, and yeah. the other thing about this movie that can be said about John Carpenter's films is the score, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. which is so minimalist. It's this. one of his best. And, but it helps to build that tension, that, 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 <coughs> Doom, doom. Like it, I don't know something Pulsating. about yes, and and it keeps you on edge the entire time. You you feel the claustrophobia of being in that place. Uh, you feel the distrust of anybody because at no point do you know. Like that part where old boy uh, is out in the snow and drops to his knees and turns around and opens his mouth and that noise comes out. Ooh, that's one of the creepiest things to this day that I've ever seen. Mm. Yeah, that is so good. Yeah, I think it's fingers been... dripping like a dude in RoboCop who uh, got toxic waste. Uh, I think it's done so well that that you even question at points if it's not Kurt Russell, look, which is the hero. Look, this movie came out how long ago? What year did it come out? Eighty-two. And we are still debating if the is. last two survivors were the thing. <laughs> Yes, with the interesting theory on being able to see the breath of one. Aha! Uh-huh. I'm a breath guy. Well, Keith David's a shut the fuck up. Childs was not the thing guy. <laughs> that man challenged me to a pee race once at a urinal. <laughs> That's a true story. That man once fought Rowdy Roddy Piper for five minutes on film. I went to that filming location. It was scary. Um, so, yeah, is there any other uh, plot points we want to hit or just how we end up? Well, things. De- yeah, I'd say we keep going because things. Well, de- we should definitely talk about the, the blood testing. Well, I think we did that while you yeah. while you tested. Oh, while you were bleeding. Way to bring up one of the best scenes <laughs> while I'm bleeding to death. Appreciate it, guys. Sorry, I had to come up uh, with something quick when That's I was true because I was giving you the <laughs> yeah. yeah my bad. Uh, Wish your body wasn't stupid. <laughs> <laughs> but well, share your two cents on it. What do you like about it? Ooh, that tension, son. <laughs> I'm sure everyone's already What's, uh, said that. Peter Moffat's uh, freak out line. Is that is his moment? name. Yeah. Was uh, <laughs> what? What's he scream? If I get a moment, could you kindly fucking untie yeah. me? Yes. <laughs> Love it. This fucking chair. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Carry on. By the way, none of us got that line right. I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Roast us. Roast. But yeah, it's we just have uh, incident after incident that is a perfect showcase for special effects. As we show this kind of vegetative state on these people with these people, where it's infiltrated them, and then we just have it blossom into chaos. And this runs its way through so many members of this group to where eventually they just torch the place, yep. and we're left with two. And the characters' names. We got McCready, McCready and Childs out there, and I'm trying to remember the line now. Why don't we just... Why don't we just rest here a little bit? Yeah. Is it rest here? Yeah, because like they know they're both going to die. So yeah. they can't... I'm tired of these motherfucking snakes on this <laughs> motherfucking line. That's the line. Which, yeah. which, between the breath, isn't it also implied that, that, they're, that the drink is gasoline? I read that somewhere, too, that... Mm. Yeah. That that if he gives them gasoline and he drinks... That's, that that sounds on. unfounded. I can dig it, though. I drink um, gasoline. But yeah, the, the, elements, the, thing. the elements are so bad that they know that they're not going to live very long. And so... Whatever it is is going to die right there with them, yeah. or you know, or be frozen. Hopefully for a very long time. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. It's it's funny because like 
it, it seems like we haven't talked a lot about this one, but there's not as much kind of nuance to this one as there is to the first film that we discussed. But it doesn't take anything away from this film. No, it's great, no. but it's more visual yes. than it is. Yeah, because narrative. that's the thing. Like just to look at it, and and I mean, sometimes some of those scenes you feel snowblind yourself just looking at the setting. I think that it helps that the timestamp comes up at the beginning of the movie. That way, that almost to me makes, say, a viewer now watching it, it makes it feel more like a period piece than this movie looks old. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because the special effects still stand up today. Mm-hmm. They still look And great. so it just feels like it's a, a, a movie set in 80, 82, 81, whatever the fuck it is that they have on the timestamp. But it's, I think that timestamp stamp helps it. I agree. Yeah. Sure. And the fact that you're not using uh, a lot of modern music mm-hmm. doesn't date it either. But yeah, great score. It's a beautiful looking movie, the way it's shot. Um, it's just... One of the best winter horrors there are. I mean, like, they're in a year that goes by where I don't watch this or The Shining. Yeah. And each year those are getting put on. Fun double feature idea is this with The Hateful Eight. With uh, uh, Kurt Russell kind of at the center of these trapped groups in wintertime. It, you should do Hateful Eight first and pretend that that's McCready's great-grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And say, how do you get stuck in this again? A lineage curse. <laughs> so I have, since we discussed the other one, uh, how do you guys feel about the prequel? I I like the prequel, except for the CGI. And and I, I wish they would have made it grainy looking to match if it's supposed to be before. I know it sounds weird, but kind of like the Star Wars movies. Like, they make all these movies, but the technology's better than... than That'd be worth a revisit, because when it came out, I thought there were some interesting things that they did with trying to set up visuals that you could recognize when from they the movie come you back. knew. Yeah. Yes. So that part was cool. And so I at this point I don't know if it's kind of washed away because it wasn't particularly good or if it was just misunderstood. It's fine. Yeah, because yeah, I remember thinking it was nowhere near as bad as what people were right. making it yeah. out to be well, without I think, having and seen I, it. And I think it Because they all thought it was a remake. If you watch was. it as a prequel and then watch the original, it does if, if say you were a new viewer who went to watch it that way, it does steal a lot of the thunder from the original. Like yeah. a lot of the element of surprise is gone now. It, it but really, it literally takes you right up to the point where they start chasing that dog. Yeah, and it is almost it, it, it is a re, it is a prequel, and it, it is almost it, it's got some remake tendencies to mm-hmm. it. Like they recreate a lot of the stuff. Tap into some of the. I wish they would have used practical effects. Yes. Yeah. Practical effects in a better name. Now, maybe we should cover that one at some point. Uh-huh. I haven't watched that in years. Uh, which which uh, Carpenter's supposed to be involved in another one. I didn't mention American Werewolf remake either, but because um, they are doing both. What? But <sighs> allegedly, um, well, no, they're doing it. Um, the, I had a dollar for every time you told me that. <laughs> but the something that I didn't know until a few years ago was that the thing flopped. Yeah. Massively, yeah. Which, which again, you know, if you look at it, number one, you put it out in the middle of summer. But I think what hurt it is you released this right after ET. Oh, the summer it came out is insane. The other stuff, the uh, Arrow, the British label, did a release of this, and they have a, a documentary they made specifically about that summer and what it was up against, like Blade Runner and all these other movies. Like it stood no chance. But I, I feel like I feel like it took till like Aliens for people to want to see Aliens bad again because after ET. 
Like, if Mac and Me would have came out in 1982, it would have been a hit. But I think it was just there were so many massive movies where people knew what they were that they wanted to go watch, and then the thing is a remake of a fifties movie that they don't necessarily know much about. It just it was doomed from from jump, and it screwed with his career. Yeah, because I mean he famously lost Firestarter right because of the performance of this, and that's why he directed the shit out of Christine the way the studio wanted. So that he'd be employable again. Yeah. But yeah, so this is a, it's it's always interesting to hear him talk about it because like any other filmmaker, they hate cult movies. It's like, I'm glad you like it, but cult implies that it failed. When it gets the following later, it does me no good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this tanked. Yeah, it did. It was uh, budgeted $15 million and only made $20 million. So it, it made $5 million, but considering... This big, this this movie should have been big. I wonder if that money that it made in long term too versus what the numbers oh, were yeah. that summer, right. which were probably really low. But yeah, what a bona fide classic! Oh, I, and yeah. I still think, a sh- uh, and like we talked about with American World in London, like I said, the, it's a perfect platform for special effects. Yeah, because there's, it's it just opens the door to. Creativity, yeah. With this, there are and no it, rules. You right. don't have to adhere to any rules whatsoever. And the original movie did its own thing, and this was going back to the novella, which is more what they're doing here. Right, way more grounded in bizarre science. Yeah, versus turning it into a gigantic killer. Yeah, like they did with the one of the which, 50s, which also like which you, is a great movie. You have brought up about remakes prior is that. Um, if you're going to remake it, there should be a reason. Right. Yep. And I think that's why the blob, the fly, and this works so well because one of it is the special effects that they could do. Where I, and I, I like the original, but it's a it's um is it Arnez James Arnez. Mm-hmm. It's him in it. He's he's a uh, he's dressed as an alien. Yeah. Which it worked for the time, but yeah, like man, could you imagine if the thing from '82 came out in the '50s? Like, yeah, Arnez was a massive man so I mean he worked for the role uh, just fine and and was married to Lucille Ball <laughs> you've been laying on that the whole time um, yes well, so <laughs> that's a but wait, yeah what? It, man that just threw me off <laughs> yeah it, it just that, oh, what I was going to say is this movie is, is one of those ones like we've talked about and I think I brought this up on the show before that it influenced a whole generation of filmmakers uh, Landis, Carpenter, Dante, these guys all talk about this movie. They are going back to it. So um, it's it's just one of those ones like Jaws for a whole other generation where it just it grabbed the imagination of people in, in a way that the best way possible that movies can. There's nothing else like it. I was going to say, I love what I, I've watched this countless times, but it's another one that is so enjoyable when you hear somebody say, I've never seen this. Because you know that, because you can't even expect what's going to happen. Right. Like, who would expect a guy's chest to open up and then eat its arm? You know, the other guy's arms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or the head that... The first time I watched this, like, I, I was like, the hell am I watching? Yeah, so both these films we've covered on this episode, top ten for me. Overall yeah. Oh, horror. yeah. 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 Which is pretty fun. I'd say top five for me, honestly. Probably, yeah. Nice. All right. Well, what a fun first installment yes. of Monsterpiece Theater. What a treat. What Just what a treat. Delicious. Thank you for joining us, friends. We hope you enjoyed this. And maybe shoot <laughs> us a message and say, hey, 
make sure you pay a little special attention to this one because you haven't covered it in full yet. So, uh, yeah. Well, wrap Just it up. Telling you to plug it up. That <laughs> <laughs> wrap it up. Another episode of the Midwest Monsters Podcast. I'm Grizzly Abner, and I've been joined by Professor Wagstaff, Venomous Vinny, Hot Toddy. Good to be with you. Stay scary, friends.